Next Saturday night, thousands of people in fancy suits will descend on a crowded, stuffy hotel ballroom for some rubber chicken, too much wine, and a night of bad jokes for what has become the most famous annual dinner in Washington. The dinner is a giant fundraiser for the White House Correspondents Association, the reporters who cover the day-to-day happenings of the President of the United States. Every year, they spend a night out with their sources, their bosses, and their advertisers, along with the President of the U.S. Only this year, there's going to be a couple of notable absences. President Trump has said he won't attend, and neither will the rest of the White House staff. Over the last decade or so, what used to be a quiet, even boring night has somehow become controversial. It's like every debate about journalistic ethics rolled into one. Should reporters be palling around with the president they cover? Should they be hobnobbing with advertisers and gawking at celebrities when serious issues of state are on the table? Or is this a prime example of a swamp that needs to be drained? Hey, I'm Reed Wilson, and you're listening to The Hill's History Cast, a podcast on the history and culture of American politics. Today, we'll take a look at the White House Correspondents Association yearly dinner, the annual commingling of Washington and Hollywood. Some people call it an event that's come to symbolize the excesses of Washington. Other people say it's just a good old-fashioned remnant of Washington from a simpler era. To help sort this whole thing out, I asked Judy Kurtz to talk us through this. Judy writes In the Know, the Hills column tracing the more human side of Washington, and she's been going to these dinners for years. Hey, Reed. This dinner has its roots in the very beginnings of what we might call modern Washington. Back in the old days, there wasn't much of a press corps here in Washington, and those reporters who were here spent their time covering Congress where all the action took place. But then on March 15, 1913, President Woodrow Wilson held the first presidential press conference. Wilson thought he could win over the reporters who covered him and that they would then become valuable allies in selling his agenda. That started a new era of relationships between presidents and the media, and it also spawned a new breed of reporter, the White House correspondent. The White House didn't have any kind of system for deciding who got in to cover the president and who didn't, and instead of letting the Congressional Reporters Association come up with an answer, the White House correspondents formed their own association. Today, the Correspondents Association is kind of like the trade union for White House reporters. Julie Mason hosts a political talk show on Sirius XM, and she served on the association's board when she was a White House reporter. They help reporters deal with the White House. They press the White House to provide more access to journalists. And then they put on events like um, new reporter orientation. For You go to the White House, no one ever tells you how to do the job. They just send you over there one day. And you're it's terrifying. And so the Correspondents Association tries to help with that, help reporters understand like how to just how to get things done and how things work at the White House. Back in its first days, the association came up with the idea of holding an annual dinner as a way to entertain themselves and their sources in the days before radio and TV. George Condon covers the president for National Journal, and he's working on a book about the history of the White House Correspondents Association. In the pre-radio, pre-TV days, dinners were how people entertained themselves in Washington. The association held its first dinner back in 1921, and three years later, Calvin Coolidge became the first president to actually show up. When he got up to the podium, his speech didn't exactly live up to the Silent Cal nickname. It was horrendously boring, lengthy. It was a long speech about uh, separation of powers and the role of Congress and the, uh, oh, it's just horrendous. And in fact, it was so bad and so boring um, that the Correspondents Association told all future presidents, you don't have to give a speech. Uh, and if you do, it's going to be off the record. Ever since, presidents have shown up to applaud the press, laugh at a few jokes, and tell a few of their own. 
Julie Mason says presidents spend a ton of time crafting their own funny speeches. They take this very seriously because they, first of all, most presidents, not this current president, because he's, he's not a humorist, but uh, Bush and Obama and even uh, George H.W. Bush, Reagan, Clinton, Clinton was hilarious. They all want to be funny and they want you to laugh. So they bring in the best writers and they start spitballing it months out. And reporters still bring their sources, high ranking politicians and maybe a few celebrities, too. And because it's Washington, celebrities, I'm using air quotes there, is a pretty broad category. Julie told us about her favorite guest. It was Rick Perry when he was governor of Texas. He got sloshed on red wine and he kept slapping my arm and saying, shut up, bitch. He was so fun. He was so fun. He was totally into it. He had a blast. He drank the wine. He laughed at the jokes. Perfect guest. In the early decades, the correspondents used the dinner to bring in the best-known entertainers of the day. Vaudeville acts performed. NBC and CBS sent television stars in the 1940s and 50s. During World War II, Franklin Roosevelt always showed up, Condon said, because it was his only opportunity to see the biggest names in entertainment. They did uh, juggling acts. They did uh, uh, a pickpocket took President Roosevelt's wallet uh, one year. You had the dog act. You had uh, any kind of, kind of act, balloon animals. Now, nothing gets more exciting than doing balloon animals, but uh, they did it at the Correspondence Center. Balloon animals, awesome. Some performers did better than others. Barbara Streisand left the stage in tears after everyone ignored her singing. Condon remembered another act, a Vegas act named Danny Thomas, who bombed particularly badly. Danny Thomas was, uh, was one of the, uh, the, the worst uh, ever. Uh, he, he was the entertainer in 1975, and the, the theme of the dinner that year was Woman Hear Me Roar. It was the first time ever the association had a woman president, and Helen Thomas, uh, and you know, all the speeches were about, you know, women have made it, finally, look at this. Um, and somebody got the bright idea that because you had a Lebanese named Thomas as the president, that we should have a Lebanese named Thomas as the entertainer. So Danny Thomas, uh, him, and he, after all this about women, got up there and did his basic Las Vegas lounge act, the theme of which was, oh, women, you can't live without them, but boy, they are dumb. They just don't have brains. You know, you ever see a woman driver? And the crowd booed him and hissed him. By the beginning of the 1980s, the association was having trouble selling tickets, so they tried to spice up the entertainment by inviting a comedian, something they thought would get the crowd's attention. We started that because the dinner was dying. It had become so boring, uh, so nobody was paying any attention to the entertainers at all, and the board figured one way we can save the dinner maybe people will shut up, stop drinking, and listen to if we have a single entertainer. And and that's been the pattern ever since 83. Ever since, a single comedian has gotten the nod, and it's a tough job. You're crammed into a packed ballroom, competing for attention, trying to make the President of the United States laugh a little. First of all, it's really hard to get people to do the show, because you think about an entertainer like a comedian. This is not their room. It's not their crowd. People do not buy a ticket to see them. And so during the whole time that they're talking, other people are talking at the table. They're having conversations. They're not listening to him. So there's this constant murmur and this sense that you're not being paid attention to and that no one's laughing at your, 
at your jokes and you're sitting there with the president of the United States. So it's stressful and then you bomb. And then and then there's this national conversation over how hard you suck. There have been some hits. Condon said his personal favorite was Al Franken, then the head writer of Saturday Night Live, and now a senator from Minnesota. Well, it's, it's a Washington audience. You uh, Both uh, Franken and uh, Seth Meyers made jokes about C-SPAN. Now, ordinarily, I'm not one to engage in self-promotion, but this is C-SPAN, and there are literally hundreds of people watching, so... <laughs> C-SPAN is, of course, the official network for wide shots of empty chairs. People think Bin Laden is hiding in the Hindu Kush, but did you know that every day from 4 to 5, he hosts a show on C-SPAN? Now, if you're at a normal comedy club, you're not going to make a Brian Lamb uh, joke or a C-SPAN joke, but, it's, but it, it goes over well there. And there have been some misses. Everyone we talked to brought up the 2006 dinner when Stephen Colbert brought out his cantankerously conservative character to jab at George W. Bush. It's like the movie Rocky, all right? The president in this case is Rocky Balboa, and Apollo Creed is everything else in the world. (laughs) It is the heartwarming story of a man who is repeatedly punched in the face. (laughs) To the audience watching at home, it was hysterical. To the audience in the room, it was a little more uncomfortable as they watched Bush squirm in his seat. He was put in an impossible situation. He wasn't there as Stephen Colbert. He was there as, as, as a faux uh, windbag, uh, you know, Bill O'Reilly uh, type uh, parody of himself. He had to, he was playing a role. And so you, he couldn't do what's the standard rule for all these dinners, which is make fun of both sides. You know, his character did not make fun of, of both sides. Then there was Seth Meyers, who performed at the 2011 Correspondence Dinner and singled out a certain member of the audience for special attention. Donald Trump has been saying that he will run for president as a Republican, which is surprising since I just assumed he was running as a joke. (laughs) Donald Trump often appears on Fox, which is ironic because a fox often appears on Donald Trump's head. Some people think the jokes aimed at Trump proved to be the first seeds of his eventual run for president. One of those people is Janet Donovan, a Washington publicist who runs the website HollywoodOnThePotomac.com. And of course, as you know, everybody claims that the reason why he ran for president was so someday he could get back at the White House Correspondents' Center, but of course he declined. So he is, I mean, he should have just come if he had a sense of humor. But it doesn't sound like he'll make it. Trump tweeted in February that he won't attend this year. The dinner itself isn't the only event of the weekend. A cottage industry of side parties, pre-parties, and after parties has sprung up, and longtime attendees say it can all get a little exhausting. Donovan says she remembers years when she'd end up at Christopher Hitchens' house after the dinner with a few friends. Now she spends most of her week shuddling between parties. What it has become is an exhausting whole five days now. I mean, it's just become physically 
unpleasant. I can imagine. You can only drink so much, right? The point of the dinner is to raise money for scholarships that the White House Correspondents Association gives to young students from D.C. who are interested in journalism. But the dinner is just the most visible thing that the association does every year. Much more importantly, they act as an official liaison between the media and the president's press staff. So when the media feels like it's being mistreated or it doesn't have the access necessary to cover the White House, it's the association that will lodge complaints or protests with the press secretary. The association's current president, Jeff Mason of Reuters, has complained to press secretary Sean Spicer for singling out certain outlets for criticism. Julie Mason told us about the time she needed the Correspondents Association to intervene. I remember I got left behind once. Um, when I was just a regular correspondent, I got left behind in St. Petersburg, Russia, which is like one of the worst things that can happen. There have been people who've been like left behind at the Great Wall of China, whatever, but this was a really bad incident. I got left behind in the middle of the woods in St. Petersburg, Russia. The van just pulled away and left me there. And it became this thing that the Correspondents Association had to go to the White House and say, like, you can't leave our reporters behind in the woods in St. Petersburg. Like, you, you know, you have to make sure everyone's in the van. Being a White House correspondent isn't exactly the most glamorous job in the world. For one, they're stuck in a basement most days in a building that's two centuries old and reeks of stale cigar smoke. The Bush administration renovated them in 2007. Before that, they were filthy, tawdry, patched together, disgusting. There were old rotary phones, disgusting carpet. We're, we're down in the basement, which is flood prone. So it has that it often has that musty smell and they have to bring fans in. You know, have you ever gotten like your car swamped? Like you left the windows open or you got caught in a flood or something. It has that smell at all times, that like musty carpet smell. Um, it is it is rodent infested because the whole White House, this is a pretty big secret, but the White House grounds are infested with rats. And and rats and mice do get into the White House. It is not glamorous. It is tight, cramped quarters. George Condon says he still appreciates the sense of history he feels every time he gets to work. You're aware that, that you, you're honored to be there at history, and you're writing the first draft of it. Thanks for listening today, and enjoy this year's jokes, even if President Trump skips the event. Our thanks to Julie Mason, George Condon, and Janet Donovan, and to our producers, Mara Whiteman and Lisa Rule. And my thanks to you for joining us, Judy. We want to hear your feedback. Email us at podcast at thehill.com. Tell us what you thought about today's show and tell us what you want to hear about in future episodes. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hill History Cast for a behind-the-scenes look at how we produce today's show and for updates on future episodes. I'm Judy Kurtz. And I'm Reed Wilson. This is the Hill's History Cast.